0: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the
1: X-Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now here's your host, Rob McConnell. I made love to an alien near Roswell last night. We strolled along together in the pale moonlight. I had a funny feeling that something wasn't right. I made love to an alien last night. And welcome back, everyone. Here we are back in the X Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the X Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, and Mutual Broadcast Network. For all the information about the Exon TV channel on Simul TV, visit www.simultv.com. Our guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Stephen Secularius. We're going to be talking about reincarnation this hour, and Stephen, welcome to the Exon.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me.
1: Uh, Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, uh, I started started out life as an atheist. I was raised an atheist, but I, I did, when I look back, have past life memories. I just didn't know what the heck they were. For example, as a little kid, I always wanted to see the rocky coast of Maine, but I didn't know what Maine was. I do not know anything about that, you know, but I had that in my head. And there were other things like that about Victorian houses and the, and the you know, Northern places and rocks and certain things that, And, uh, I mean, all of those things fit when I finally found who I was in the 19th century, but at the time I had no idea. So then I went through a radical change, uh, right after high school, maybe about 19 or something like that, and did a complete turnaround, got into drugs for a while and started searching and looking into different spiritual paths. And I think it was really when I read the Bhagavad Gita, that was when I was reencarried was uh, introduced to reincarnation and it just seemed perfectly natural to me so i mean there wasn't any struggle or any question or anything it just fit right into place so from that point on i accepted reincarnation but i didn't have any idea that i was going to try to present it to the public as i've been trying to do until i uh, created a documentary uh called in another life reincarnation in america and i started work on that in 1997 had uh, almost no funds, a little bit. And uh, it took me five years. I finally got it uh, out in 2003. It aired on one PBS station and it got picked up by Films Media Group who uh, distribute films like Bill Moyer's films to universities. So, um, you know, at that point I had a website to promote the documentary and basically the website sort of took over and uh, the whole thing kind of took over my life, I would say. And then in 2005, I found what I thought was my own past life because I had been studying the best cases in the world right. and the best methods of researching them. And then I found this case of my own, just kind of stumbled on it by accident. And I started applying those methods to uh, try to prove my own past life case. And in the last 11 years or so, that's been my focus.
1: So... Tell us about your own past life. You've got me interested here. 19th century person?
2: Yeah, this, this is an author, a very obscure author. He's the younger brother of the poet John Greenleaf Whittier, who's known primarily for a poem called Snowbound, about their childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an abolitionist as well. So this fellow, Matthew, he's kind of the black sheep of the Whittier family. The Whittiers were Quakers. But Matthew was kind of looked down upon as a hack writer, you know, maybe he wrote some poems, but nobody bothered to save any of them. And he wrote one satirical character named Ethan Spike, who was it was an anti-slavery series. But, uh, you know, one of the wittier biographers says they're not worth the trouble of looking up, you know. Well, I, I stumbled upon this guy's picture. And I said, that's me. I looked in the eyes and I said, that's that's myself. And he does look very much like me, about mm-hmm. maybe 85%, 90% like wow. me. But I, it wasn't that. I was looking at the eyes and I said, my God, I'm looking at myself, you know. So I said, well, I've studied so many cases. Let's, let's just see what happens. And what, mm-hmm. what it turned out is that although the Whittier legacy says there's barely anything on this guy and he's not worth looking into and, you know, it's just not – he's just like the, you know, the ne'er-do-well brother, you know. And I looked into it and I found out that he had even a more August track record than his famous brother, except that he kept himself hidden. He wrote almost everything under maybe hundreds of different pseudonyms over a 50-year career, starting at age 12 as a child prodigy. So it turned out to be a pretty remarkable person. How, you know,
1: how acceptable in today's society is the concept of reincarnation?
2: Well, obviously, it depends on who you talk to. But I will say that it's a somewhat easier sell now than it was 20 years ago. The the awareness of it is getting Mm -hmm. out. How accurate all the information is is another matter. And I used to try to be a stickler for the most accurate information I could present. Right. But I think it's getting out there. Um, But it's still, it's kind of the poor redheaded stepchild of, of the alternative, you know, community, you know, it's, it's the hardest thing to get across. It's the last thing that people want to hear about, seems like. And, uh, you know, I don't, I think that it, it offends in a lot of different ways, but one of the things it offends is that, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're really not this body and if life is really a life cycle instead of a course of life, it's the Mm -hmm. cycle of life, then materialism is, nonsense. Racism is nonsense. And everybody is 100% accountable for everything that they do. And that's an extremely unpopular notion, because people that want to do everything that they want without consequences, they thought they got rid of hell and sin and all the consequences. See, they thought they got rid of all that. Well, they didn't. It's just that Hell and sin were bad knockoffs of what used to be understood as the cycle of life, see? and uh, So now suddenly reincarnation is reintroducing the idea that you're completely responsible, 100%, for everything you do and, you know, you're accountable. And I think that's a very hard sell.
1: (laughs) Especially in today's world.
2: Especially in today's world when people thought that, you know, now, you know, with secularism that we just, you know, you just— do anything you want, and then you, whoever dies with the most toys wins, you yeah, know. Yeah,
1: exactly. Are there examples of um, past life or, or reincarnation in the religious books that you're aware of? For example, in the Bible.
2: Yeah, it's in the Bible, and it's in basically all the traditions if you go to the esoteric side, which is to say all religions—and this is something I started out with when I started on my spiritual search about mm-hmm. age nineteen, twenty. Um, if you get into the esoteric side, what you find is that there are certain sages, certain people that had matured, again, over you know however many lifetimes, they'd become what we call old souls, right? And they had developed the ability to see things as they are. and they all talk about reincarnation, you know <laughs> at that level. But then what happens is it becomes a religion and it gets inherited by people who don't really know what they're talking about. And it gets dumbed down, and it beco- there becomes an orthodoxy, and that orthodoxy kind of pushes the esoteric side out, like the preexistence of the soul got mm-hmm. pushed out of Christianity fairly early, you know, and got replaced with the idea of the soul being created at birth. And that has some incredible implications today with regards to abortion, because— yeah. The Christians think that the that the soul is created at conception, which is nonsense, but then the secularists think that there's no soul at all, which is also nonsense. So, you know, uh, so there's a, if you get to the truth of the matter, you find the esoteric side, you find the sages who really knew what they were talking about and saw these things directly with their inner sight, you know, intuition and insight. You know, then it's all the same. They're all talking about it. Is is
1: the... the... Is the educational field picking up on reincarnation and, uh, you know, introducing it to people through classes that they have?
2: Well, my documentary is for sale to universities, but I I just got a a whopping $8.81 check for like six months, (laughs) royalties the other day, you know, so it's not used very much. Of course, it is on YouTube for free, but... Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there's a few maverick professors out there. If you're talking about the university level, yeah. who are teaching it, I don't think anybody probably at the in the lower grades, you know, because they get fired. <laughs> but uh, it's not very popular. And I've been reaching out to a great number of people in academia with regard to my own past life match and certain literary works that I believe that he was responsible for. Uh, and boy, it's a tough nut to crack. Hardly anybody responds. If they respond, they're patronizing or else they're sarcastic. You know, they'll read the papers cause I've written a bunch of papers right. and I've got them on something called academia edu, which is a very interesting radical development because uh, academia has been, you know, the ivory towers, you know, it's been walled off from everybody else. Well, in academia, if you pay your dime, you're in there and you can submit papers and you can post papers like everybody else, even though you're not affiliated with academia. That means that these professors can see my papers and I can respond to theirs and there's communication going on. See, so it's very interesting, but boy, they'll read my papers. They'll look at them. One of them that I did recently, uh, a a short one, uh, I think it's over 2000 people and at least half of those are in academia, you know, as, professors mm-hmm. they looked at it they read it but boy they don't want to talk <laughs> you know?
1: silence is golden right
2: <laughs> yeah it, well it's safe i think it's very dangerous for them all right know, stand to, by to, we've yeah. got
1: it we've got to take our first break uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight a very interesting topic an Exonation, nation our guest this hour is stephen Sacalarius and his website is ial.goldthread.com and we'll both be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. This hour reincarnation. When you get my hand, I was feeling mighty fine. But her fingers with mine would not intertwine. When I bent down and gazed into your eyes, they
0: were bigger as donuts and blacker than the sky.
1: Said I'm feeling lonely I said, Lord, <laughs> so am I We'll stroll along together But we won't question why Welcome back, everyone. Stephen Sakalarius is our special guest. His website is ial.goldthread.com. We're talking about reincarnation. And, and Stephen, we were talking about your own reincarnation experience uh, of this person from the 19th century. But how many reincarnations do, do we go through? Is it just one? Is it just two? Or is it a totals, you know, around and round and round on the merry-go-round?
2: Well, I'm a follower of Mayor Baba, and according to him, I think it's 8.4 million human lifetimes, if I remember correctly. And then there's the uh, going up through the evolutionary track before then, so a great many before then. I'm so
1: tired already no yeah.
2: wonder it's uh it's a vast number and in in most most teachings about reincarnation mm-hmm. you don't get that many people talk about oh i know that i've had 12 lives and so on you know so this is a very different perspective but it makes sense because really speaking you look around and see how fast are people learning you know they go through their life you know and, and they barely learn anything they just yeah. kind of coast along and they react to things and they you know, just want to get by and pay the rent and whatever. And, and in order to really gain wisdom, you have to have an awful lot of experiences from a lot of different perspectives. And that takes a lot of lifetimes.
1: Would reincarnation explain uh, prodigies?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think anything else really does. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's some amazing cases. And, and my, in my past life, he was also a prodigy, but a literary prodigy. And uh, his wife, his uh, true love, was both a musical prodigy and a literary prodigy.
1: Do you think people in this lifetime ever meet other people that they lived with in their reincarnation life?
2: Oh, I think people people know it. You know, on some level they know it. I mean, you know, and then they can try to explain it any way they want Mm -hmm. to, but before you start explaining anything, you already know deep down, oh, I've I've known you before, you know. Yeah. Very common experience.
1: I wonder if that would also explain love at first sight.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of times it does. Now, yeah. there was, let's see, Harville Hendricks, when I uh, got my master's degree in counseling, mm-hmm. we studied this fellow, and he talked about the imago. He's trying to explain that, you know, why there's a certain type that people want, you know. And he kind of boiled it down to this kind of, Imaginary or mythical person you have in your mind called an imago, but I really think it goes to past lives and in my own case You know, I was always looking for this person Matthew's true love You know, I was looking for her and when I look back and I think of the girls that I was attracted to Almost always there was some aspect of them that apparently reminded me of of this young woman that Matthew loved and I just didn't realize, I didn't know who I was looking for, but I was looking for somebody in particular. I think that's true for just about everybody.
1: I guess. Uh, what are some of your most controversial discoveries?
2: Well, uh, it, of course, it depends on who you're shocking. <laughs> you oh, let, know? Let's shock uh, the world the people, tonight. People who are materialists, the whole idea shocks them, you know. Mm. Uh, but in particular the people I'm reaching out to in academia, what shocks them is that I've determined that Matthew and his wife, Abby were the original authors of a Christmas Carol. Dickens just popularized it, but he wasn't really the author and I can prove that. And then the other thing is that after she died in 1841, it was Matthew who wrote the Raven, not Edgar Allan Poe and also Annabelle Lee. So there's a couple other fairly famous ones, but those in particular are are shockers, you know, um, The first one about A Christmas Carol, I felt that and wrote it in one of my online blogs before I ever had any evidence for it. And I said, you know, I've just had this insight. I'd better record it just in case it ever is useful in the future, you know. And that's like that's on uh, archive.org's Wayback Machine. You know, that's a, Mm -hmm. a public record. You can go back and see that I said that. Excuse me. But then I have the evidence for that.
1: What is the – all right, let me ask it this way. How do you deal with skepticism? Because I would imagine that you get quite a bit of it.
2: You know, I don't get a lot. Uh, oh, that's good. I do good. get some. Like, for example, I'll post underneath YouTube videos about A Christmas Carol of the Raven. And every mm-hmm. once in a while, I'll get a very you know, sarcastic comment. Um, but mostly it's silence. Really? And what I understand is that it's a, it's a progressive – uh, thing that goes from being ignored, then there's ridicule, and eventually there's acceptance, you know, way down the road. Well, I'm mm-hmm. mostly at the at the being ignored stage, and occasionally I pooch into the ridicule stage.
1: How do you go about proving your case to non-believers?
2: Well, the reincarnation case I proved in the same way that people were proving the other cases I studied, and I kind of combined the methods, but the idea is, you want to have past life memories that you can record, you know, as to date and time and whatever. And they should be very specific. They should be idiosyncratic, meaning that they have to be something unusual, right? Right. And there have to be as many of them as possible. And then they, they have to be something that you couldn't possibly have known by any normal means, which is getting tougher and tougher with the Internet. But it has to be something so specific and so unusual that you couldn't possibly have known. And then you have to go find it and confirm it in what I call the deep historical record. And, and you know, there's a lot of lifetimes that that's not easy to do. Like if it's somebody famous, well, mm-hmm. all of those things are already public knowledge whereas if it's somebody from back in the Roman days, well, it's so old you can't find any of the information. But I kind of hit the perfect storm with Matthew Franklin Whittier because he's recent enough that his information can be found. It's been covered over, and uh, you can't find any of it normally, but he wrote a vast number of works. I've got over 2,300 of his published works now, over 11 years. I found this stuff in determined it was his Mm -hmm. and I couldn't possibly have seen any of this stuff and on top of that when he wrote he wrote what I call coded autobiography he wrote his own life but he covered it up you know kind of changed up things so you couldn't tell who it was but once you learn how to decode his writing you've got basically his whole autobiography there right so if any of the memories that I had and dated match up with the deep historical record I'm gold. See, that's then you. Then you've proven it.
1: How can somebody know, or what are some of the the triggers that would ten, make one believe that they are they've had a re, you know, a past life experience, and that they're reincarnated?
2: Well, first off, what I determined after an awful lot of research, assuming that I'm typical. Mm-hmm. is that basically what reincarnates, what what changes when you reincarnate is the physical body, and it's probably going to be about 85% similar with a few exceptions. There are certain exceptions where it might be opposite, but if you need that. But basically it's going to look about 85%, 90% similar. So that's going to change, new physical body, new physical personality, which means your identity, uh, where you grew up, and, and the century you grew up in, the country you grew up in, and the people you know, and all the associations that you have to your life, right? That's new. But the, what I call the higher mind, which is your attitudes, your values, your sense of humor, the way your mind works, your creativity, all that's exactly the same. You know, at least for me, and I assume for everybody And your emotions are exactly the same. Everybody right now is experiencing their past life emotions and reacting to circumstances with their past life emotions, thinking that it's from this life. But it's not. You're reacting to everything from your past life experience emotionally. So when you understand that, you know, these things haven't changed, you're still the same higher mind, you're still the same emotional being. The only thing that's changed is this physical body and the physical personality. Then you can start to see, you know, that you, in a particular sense, there really is no reincarnation. You're just the same person. You've taken a body, you dropped a body, but you're still the same person.
1: Who decides what we come back as and what we don't?
2: Well, I don't definitely know the answer to that. You know, there are people that say everybody makes... Mm -hmm. their own decisions, you know, decides I'm going to be a person who's going to get run over by a train and be paralyzed for 50 years, you know, or whatever, you know. Uh, I mean, I've studied karma, which goes into it, which is a very complex subject. I kind of think that it's like going to school, to college, where a freshman has a lot of core courses he or she has got to take, and then maybe one elective or two electives. By the time you get to your senior year, you've got a lot of electives. Okay, so I think it's like that. You know, when you first start out, mm-hmm. haven't reincarnated that much, you've got certain core lessons that you've got to learn, you've got to go through. But then, gradually, as you get to be an older soul, you can kind of make some choices before you come in. That's my guess.
1: All right, Just stand say, by, Stephen. Yeah. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. And exonation, donation. our guest this hour is Stephen Saccolarius. We're talking about reincarnation. And Stephen's website is ial.goldthread.com. We'll both be back after this break. Don't go away. Close my eyes
0: again. Climb to board the dream with the chain.
2: Drive and take away my
0: world
1: back everyone. Stephen Saccolarius is my guest this hour. His website is ial.goldthread.com. Stephen, is it possible then that we bring luggage, good and bad, from our past lives into this life?
2: Yeah, no question. Uh, My guru, Meher Baba, taught about what he called sanskaras. In other traditions, usually it's spelled samskaras with an M, but it means mental impressions from past lives. And that's the most valuable study you can make is to study that phenomenon because we are basically made up of the impressions and mental impressions of past lives. And the subjective part of that is impressions. The objective side of that is karma. So it's a, it's a very important study and a very deep study. But, oh, we're bringing everything we've ever experienced and all the decisions that we've made. And uh, uh, basically, the teaching is that if you do something that creates an impression, mm-hmm. depending on the motive, and then there's an itch to... Re-experience it, so that becomes a desire. And if you scratch that itch, if you act on that desire, then there's a deeper impression. See, and you know. So the question is, you know, and th- and those impressions cloud your vision. They, you know, are like filters through which you see the world. So if you want to see the truth, mm-hmm. then you have to deal with those impressions and kind of uh, dissolve them with the truth, basically. So it's that's the spiritual path.
1: If somebody was bad in a past life, will they be bad in the reincarnated life?
2: Well, you have to go to what bad is, and that well, depends well, on you know that depends on mm-hmm. what your ideals are and what your understanding of the world is and your motivation. Basically, I think it works out to uh, if you're selfish, that's a problem. If you learn to get beyond selfishness and be concerned about something greater than yourself and if you learn to develop love, which mm-hmm. is not polarizing, in other words, if you learn to love, which brings together as opposed to separating, then that brings you to a good state. okay? And that brings about good results. The more selfish you are, the more polarized you are, uh, the, you know, the more you're going to run into problems and create suffering.
1: Alright, so let's say somebody who has committed mass murder in their past life. Will they be reincarnated as a good person or will they be reincarnated as, once again, a very negative person and a threat to society?
2: My understanding, and I put this together from a lot of sources and my own observation, is what mm-hmm. happens is that we, we do something selfish, we do something harmful, especially if you know better, you know, and then... At some point, let's let's say that you're, you've you know murdered some innocent person. At some point, you end up becoming like the person that you murdered. Now you're an innocent person, an innocent child, and the thing that was in you is now part of the external you know in other words that impression is there but now instead of being inside it's now projected out into the world and that's where karma kicks in and so that comes at you from the outside now (laughs) okay so uh eventually that will happen then there's this uh wounding okay this deep impression Mm -hmm. of, of this horrible thing having happened to you and that reverberates and reverberates and reverberates and creates a compulsion to revisit it and revisit it and revisit it until eventually you clear it so the one stupid thing you do you know then it comes back at you as a repercussion and then there's that wounding and that takes a many many times to resolve
1: all right so is there at any time that those who are in charge of our lives, and I'm talking about past lives, our reincarnated lives, can actually pull the plug and say, "Uh-uh, you're not going any further."
2: I'm not sure. I'm, oh, you mean like like no? Uh-uh. Everybody everybody comes through it eventually. It's just it's in cycles, you know. So there's low sure. points and high points, but everybody eventually makes it through. And there's higher beings that can uh, that can pull you through if you get to the point where you're not making it on your own I would say that was the case from for me actually with my guru you know eventually the guru the true true guru the higher being will just reach down and grab you by the collar and pull you out of the mud and there's many people who can attest to that experience people like in AA you know who've been in rock bottom as alcoholics and they feel that their higher power just basically dragged them out of the mud and put them back on their feet again many people can attest to that
1: so, based on your belief, where does this all start? There has to be a start to, to everything.
2: Yes, and that's where you would have to go, in my opinion, to Mayor Baba's book, God Speaks. It's all in there. I can't, I can't reiterate all of that, but he talks about the very, very beginning.
1: Well, give us, give us your, your interpretation of the beginning.
2: Well, what Mayor Baba talks about is the oversoul, and there's just this one vast being, but it's not conscious so in that being develops what he calls the whim the urge to be conscious to know itself mm-hmm. and that starts the whole of creation that whim suddenly creates a division between you know known and not known right and that generates the like the like the big bang except it's a being and not just a a dead universe right so that begins that's the first impression you know The urge to know, for God to know himself is the very first impression. And that impression creates more and more and more. And then this huge manifold uh, creation comes out of that. And the whole purpose is for God to know himself. And man is the vehicle through which God knows himself when man becomes God realized. That's the gist of it.
1: (laughs) So basically, we're here to experience everything we can that is fed into this God creature.
2: We we are here to realize ourselves as God, our true self. We are God, but we're asleep to it. So the trick is to find that being who is consciously aware of it, you know, and then and that one can help us also realize it.
1: But why would it take eight point so many million reincarnations in order to learn this?
2: Well, look at the people that are stubborn about some things right now. Mm -hmm. It's stubbornness. People are very stubborn, you know, and they like their status quo and they like their own ideas and they like their ideals. And basically, people don't move unless they go through some terrible suffering. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, it's said that God could be realized in the one life if you had the motivation. But to get that motivation apparently takes millions of lifetimes.
1: But are we talking about the God of the Christians, the Catholics, the Hebrews, the uh, Jehovah Witnesses, the, um, you know, are we talking about the God of the Muslims, or are we talking about a totally different God, or are they all the same one?
2: We're talking about what the founder experienced, what, not Buddhism, but the founder of Buddhism, what did he experience, not Christianity. There was no Christianity in Jesus's day. <laughs> you know? We're talking about what Jesus experienced mm-hmm. and so on with the others. We're talking about This is again, this is where I started. We're talking about the founder and what his realization was. And I'm saying that Buddha's experience experienced exactly the same unnameable thing that Jesus did. See, but they just they they expressed it differently to the cultures that they taught in. And then comes the religion that becomes an orthodoxy and kind of casts it in a certain way. But I don't pay much attention to that. Never have.
1: How do we know Buddha was right?
2: Well, we don't. (laughs) What he would say is follow the follow the method, you know, and, and find out for yourself. You can get a sense of the, the august nature of these beings. You can kind of get the, the, the perfume mm-hmm. of them, you know. But basically, you don't know. You're taking a huge gamble, you know. It says, I think he's right, and I'm going to find out, you know. So then you do the, you do the work, you do the right. method, and yeah. you find out. Yeah.
1: At what age, in your opinion, should one start to investigate their own possibility of being reincarnated?
2: Well, there's, there is no age. There's millions of lifetimes, okay? Mm-hmm. So by the time you've had millions of lifetimes, here, here's one way to look at it. I look at somebody like Eric Johnson. He's my favorite musician. He's a, a guitarist and a rock and acoustical, and I think he was a child prodigy. Somebody like that, but when he incarnates and he's a kid, he's already had who knows how many lifetimes under his belt of perfecting music. So he's just going to jump right on in, you know, and the same is true for spirituality. I met a yogi named Baba Hari Das, who was the fellow that taught Ram Das in Neem Karoli Baba's ashram. I I met him uh, at a retreat, and uh, he said that when he was a boy of like seven, he said, he asked his parents, how can I get out of this box of earth and sky? And they didn't know the answer, so he left as a wandering monk, as a sadhu. <laughs> they didn't know the answer, how to get out of this box of earth and sky. Well, that's seven. But that's because who knows how many lifetimes he'd had before. So, you know, I mean, if you have that, then doesn't matter. I would never force or encourage or, you know, try to create, you know, a spiritual seeker out of the kid if he didn't have the inclination.
1: Right. You know? All right, stand by. We've got to take our final break for this hour. And Exonation, if you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, Stephen Sacalarius, visit his uh, website at ial.goldthread.com. We'll both be back on the other side, wrapping up this hour. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Stephen Saccolarius is our special guest this hour. His website is ial.goldthread.com. Stephen, have you ever participated in past life regression?
2: I, I did, uh, per, for personal reasons, but mm-hmm. then also for my study, studying Matthew Franklin Whittier. I wanted to right. see if I could get some you know, past life memories of his that I could then go ahead and try to prove.
1: And was it successful?
2: It was successful. I didn't go under as deeply as I would like to have. I'm not, you know, some people are really good subjects Mm -hmm. and some are not. And I I don't know, maybe I think too much, you know, I I don't respond to uh, visual suggestions, you know, imagine yourself walking through a door and this or that. I just, you know, my mind is like, I'm not looking at a door. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I just can't, I can't do it. So, uh, but still I would get into a light trance. And in that light trance, Every once in a while, a memory would kind of bubble up, like you suddenly start to remember something from your childhood or something like that. And some of those checked out.
1: Did you only go one life back?
2: I only wanted to. I actually went a couple lives back. And uh, I found, eventually found a little bit of evidence for that, not much, but uh, I went the, to the one before and then the, the most recent one. And I think there might be a couple in between. I'm not sure. But, you know, I really was just focusing on the one that I felt I could prove. Why does all the
1: work when it comes to reincarnation come from the East? Why is, well, why is the concept so prevalent in Buddhism
2: Well, they've had the teachers, I guess. I don't know. The West is really more materialistic and apparently has been for a very long time. In the East, it's kind of understood. And when anything is understood, those Mm -hmm. people are a lot more teachable, you know, than people that, uh, you know, don't want to hear it, don't know and don't want to hear it. So I, I don't really know the answer to that question, to be perfectly honest. I don't know why the Western world and Western civilization has been more materialistic and more polarized. Because, you know, to, to us here in the West, if there is a God, he's out there. Yeah. Whereas in the East, they understand that this is your true self. See, and that's perfectly natural for them. Um, so why that is, I don't really know. How can
1: you see the the understanding of reincarnation progressing in the west what will it take
2: well that's a good question i think it will take people first of all the, the thing that i brought up before that it that it brings in absolute accountability mm-hmm. people have to be prepared to be accountable and that's a that's a hard pill to swallow so that's i don't know how that's going to happen but it's going to come with time um and they have to be. They have to start taking it seriously. There's people that that grudgingly admit, oh, there might be reincarnation, but it can never be proven. So to counter that, I wrote a book called "Reincarnation Can," emphasizing can be mm-hmm. proven, right? Because when they when they start taking it seriously as something that has been proven many times over and can be proven, then they'll start to take it seriously. At that point, they'll see the evidence is overwhelming. It's all. It's it's been there for a long time now. And it's overwhelming, but you have to take it seriously.
1: Fascinating. When looking at the the different religions and the different mythologies, where do you think examples outside of Buddhism would lie for those who may not accept the concept of reincarnation because it comes from the Buddhist side?
2: Well, it doesn't just come from Buddhism. Of course, it's in Hinduism as mm-hmm. well. And again, it's on the, the esoteric side of a great many religions. For example, Rumi, the uh, uh, Persian mystic mm-hmm. uh, and poet, he wrote about reincarnation from the lower animal forms all the way up to man and then beyond man, you know, and, and as an angel type form. So he wrote about that, but he wrote about it in language that wouldn't get one's head cut off, you know. So you have to be a little bit careful. But anytime you go to the true mystics, you'll find they're talking about it. I mean, it's it's just being open to it and and understanding that we have to talk to the guys that really know what they're talking about. This is like if you wanted to learn physics, you don't go to to Joe, your sixth grade classmate. Yeah. You go to the you know top physicist if you really want to learn about the subject. Well, spirituality is no different. You've got to determine who knows what they're talking about. And in spirituality, that means who sees directly and then learn from them.
1: But how can we prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that reincarnation is real?
2: Well, read, read Dr. Stevenson's work. Dr. Ian Stevenson... Uh, who studied children, who remembered their past lives. Look at his work and don't just read about it. Mm-hmm. Read all the cases, one after the other. And unless you're going into denial and going into la-la land, it's obvious you know, that it's a real phenomenon. And there's others besides his. But I mean, if you really sure. want to be convinced of it, just go in and with an open mind, read all of his work.
1: Is there a a thread between all the people who believe in reincarnation that they have been reincarnated? How how do you mean? Is there a similarity in psychological profiling?
2: Not that I know of. No way. Not that I know of, no. Because, I mean, Dr. Stevenson's cases ranged from, you know, guys that had robbed a bank or killed somebody all the way up to Shanti Devi, who was a uh, you know, very spiritual type of person. <laughs> you know, uh, it, I mean, there's different reasons why somebody might remember a past life. Well, uh, in
1: doing your own research, did you compare your, your case with others?
2: Only in the sense that I wanted to, the best method. So I, I used the method that other people combined them. I used mm-hmm. the methods that had worked for other researchers. But I didn't really compare the cases per se or compare, excuse me, compare myself to anybody, yeah.
1: What What would you, or how would you explain to someone who's never heard the word reincarnation, what reincarnation is?
2: A cycle of life. Just think about the cycle of life and understand that a human being is a spirit, first and foremost, and not a physical body. So if you understand those two things, that the spirit, mm-hmm. which is the real person, is going through the cycle of life, then you'll have it. It'll, everything will make perfect sense. It's the preconceptions we have that throw us off. Once you uh, throw out those mistaken preconceptions and get some good ones in there then then everything is obvious
1: but it's hard it's hard for people to just toss their preconceptions away how do you do it that? is
2: it's suffering that's where that's where suffering comes in you know suffering drives people to the truth otherwise they'll never bother with it
1: but suffering can in in other in other cases can drive people away from the truth
2: temporarily yeah temporarily but yeah. not in the end no
1: why are you so sure
2: because of the way reality is constructed, it's very difficult to describe, but, I mean, reality is truth, you know, and experience happens within reality. So since reality is truth mm-hmm. and everything happens, all experience happens within reality, yeah. that reality suffering drives you to that reality ultimately. It can't do anything else. It has to.
1: Well, happens in the case of a stillborn child. What happens well, to the reincarnation in that factor?
2: Well, I don't know, but but apparently, see, there there, there can be communication with souls on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I believe that some of them will say, I decided not to come in at that particular time. Just like a pilot. Reason. So they change their mind, basically, mm-hmm. and then they come in again later on or they meet some other way.
1: Just like a pilot aborting a landing. I'm sorry. Just like an aircraft pilot, aborting uh,
2: landing. Yeah, 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 very much so. Yeah, they just decide that for some reason mm-hmm. they, they decided not to not to complete. Yeah, the but the connection is still there, and the mediums will mm-hmm. connect people with souls that didn't make it all the way through. People like Matt Fraser, for example, frequently does that.
1: Stephen, we're coming to the time when we must say so long. So let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and where they can get your books.
2: Sure, uh, it's all on that website. Uh, ial.goldthread.com there is uh, a section of articles that's really my papers and you can find quite a few papers on there uh, there's a book section you can find the books on there and there's quite a bit of free information there's an extensive video blog that you can check out so it's quite a bit of stuff
1: Stephen I want to thank you ever so much for joining us continued success and I hope that you and I will have the pleasure of meeting back here in the x in the future
2: thank you very much
1: have a nice night sir all right, ExoNation, once again, if you'd like to get more information from our guest this hour, we'll have all of his information on the show notes that we uh, put with all the shows that we archive. And if you'd like to find out where all the archives are for past shows of the Exxon Radio TV show, visit www.xzoneuniverse.com. Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue right here in the X Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. My name's Rob McConnell. Don't go away. I like
0: dreaming Cause dreaming can make you mine I like dreaming Closing my eyes fine When the lights go down I'm holding you so tight Got you in my arms And it's paradise Till the morning light I see us on the shore